This episode of Troxel is supported by Avail. Content is more than Revit families. If it's digital, Avail can handle it. Learn more at getavail.com. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. This is the podcast where I have a conversation with guests from the architectural community and beyond to talk about the co-evolution of architecture and technology. In this episode, I welcome John Pearson. John is a design technology specialist, programmer, and meme connoisseur with over 10 years in the AEC industry. He's well known for his Dynamo packages that are freely available to the community, which I have linked to in the episode show notes. At Parallax Team, he specializes in the creation of custom tools for Revit and Dynamo. In addition to his work at Parallax, John creates online courses for Dynamo and Revit at designtechunraveled.com. When not making apps or memes, he can be found spending time with his wife and best friend Vanessa and their 2014 Black Labrador Retriever Zero, which sounds like a neat mix between a dog and a car. Just saying. In this episode, we discuss John's history of his blog and how he made a name for himself through his contributions to the open source design technology community, the origin story of how he became interested in Dynamo and Revit and where that path has led, John's favorite Dynamo packages, developing tools in the open source community, backwards compatibility, DLL hell, and more. Do me a favor and share this episode with your colleagues and leave a rating and review of Troxel on Apple Podcasts. By doing that, you can help support and broaden the reach of conversations like these in my attempt to elevate the industry using the magic of algorithms in the podcasting universe. And don't forget to visit the sponsors who help make this episode possible. So without further ado, I bring you John Pearson. John, welcome to the Troxel Podcast. It's great to have you. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. You have made a name for yourself over the years, and so I think we should start start with that story. How did you make a name for yourself? Who are you, John Pearson? Yeah, I've been in the AEC industry for about 10 years now, and uh, I initially started out with a blog for people who started to know who I was. Uh, called 60 Second Revit. Um, So I guess going back a little bit before that even, uh, I've always, I I took AutoCAD classes in high school. (laughs) So like I've always had an interest for drafting and and building things and making things and computers. Was that an interest in drafting itself or was it in the architecture side of things or was it just the drawing part of it? I think it was the drawing part more. So in Mm -hmm. high school, I actually took HTML classes for computer like website design. I still use a lot of HTML these days too, which kind of blows my mind. Like image SRC equals is something I use way more often than I imagined all these years later. But I took AutoCAD and just because I was interested in that and drawing, we drew little houses and stuff all on layer zero in high school, you know? Right. That's (laughs) where it starts. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Bad habits start early. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And using AutoCAD in general, just kidding. No, yeah. um, <laughs> bad habits. Speaking and of bad then, habits. 
<laughs> and then after that, like, uh, I didn't go right into school. Um, so several years I worked, uh, we got married young. My wife and I got married, but we were 20 years old <laughs> and we were living life for quite a few years. And then uh, eventually we we're like, we need to go to school and do something. So we actually went to, um, it's called CNM, uh, Central New Mexico Community College here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we, uh, we both got a drafting degree. So something that a lot of people actually don't know about me probably is I'm not an architect. I, I'm technically a drafter uh, by how I'm trained. Um, so I started working at an architecture firm uh, shortly after graduating from that program. And for anyone out there who's maybe on the fence, if you have any younger listeners or people who are wanting, uh, going for a drafting degree or a two-year degree is is a really great experience, actually. I learned about building code, drafting details. I learned how to use layers correctly in AutoCAD, <laughs> all that good stuff. So, like, I think it's a really good pipeline for people to go through. And then you can go on to architecture school or something if you'd like, you know. I just want to throw I just want to throw something in there for a second is because I've taught at the community college. I've taught Revit in the community college uh, and I felt like the course was not only more well attended and the people were more attentive, but they ask really great questions. You have a huge range of ages in community college courses. Anyone who is 18 or right around 18 and over, there's a lot of students in that age range, but there's also students in their forties and fifties who are like, I just need to learn these skills because I'm a one man shop or a one woman shop. And the the world has moved on from the software that I used to use and I need to do this. And, and it's so interesting to see that wide range of experience sitting in the room at one time, which also helps everybody in the room understand the, the different generations better. It's, it's really interesting. Whereas in university, where I've also taught Revit, which is a side class to design studio, nobody shows up. People are sleeping because they were up all night doing their their studio courses. And it's a very different vibe. So I just wanted to throw that in there as well to kind of reinforce what you were saying about that. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, it was great. Uh, our instructors, so they were architects, registered architects and uh, great people. We had an instructor, his name's, his name's Peter. Um he he's retired since but uh he was he was like the most hardcore instructor you've ever had in your life because like you had to take notes and date them and if you didn't date it that's like a mark off he was pretty hardcore and at the time everyone's like man this guy's a nightmare but uh, once i went to an architecture firm i was like he's like a mad genius because he's preparing us to deal with what we're going to deal with day in and day out with deadlines no you said this on this date it's right here exactly. in my exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> so like having all that was like, wow, like he is, he was preparing us for this, this whole experience at an architecture firm or a structural firm or wherever people may end up, uh, which is really awesome. And then we had another uh, instructor who taught us all sorts of stuff about building codes. So clearances for restrooms, we had to design restrooms in school. So it was pretty wild. But yeah, uh, that degree ended up getting me into an architecture firm here in Albuquerque, Decker Parish Sabatini. They're one of the they're they're kind of one of the bigger firms around here and they do a lot of like higher ed and things like that. And I was a uh, part of a department that we formed called Revit Support. So we were training users on Revit who were intern architects. We were building templates, content, training, all that good stuff. And uh, I've always just like, I've always liked teaching, I think. <laughs> so uh, 
prior to all my AEC experience, I was a trainer at a warehouse. So I trained people how to like meet production goals at a warehouse. So I've just kind of always had that in me, I think. And yeah, when I was at the firm, I, um, that's when I started the blog and started kind of getting myself out there and sharing content. So the blog has a funny story, I guess. 60secondrevit.com is what it was. Uh, that was spun off because while I was at the architecture firm, I wrote a blog post for their blog mm-hmm. um, that was very technical, very like Revit, geeky, in, in the weeds stuff for Revit. And uh, it ended up not getting published on the company blog. And I understand why, because we were a design firm and I'm going off about Revit importing point clouds and creating masses from those and all sorts of stuff. So I ended up saying like, you know what, I'll just start a blog and share all that really dorky Revit stuff myself. <laughs> so, and there's an audience for that, right? And there is. So yeah, that's uh, that's how that started. And me being a Revit user, I was like, hey, who doesn't have 60 seconds to read a blog post about Revit? Um, so 60 Second Revit was born in 2015 that way. It's interesting to think back on content creation and how short the attention span was even back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This idea of digestible snippets of learning. I remember creating a course a long time ago and it was the same because it was all video. And if you ever wanted to go back and reference something in a course, it was very difficult in video because there was no real time closed captioning. There was no trans automatic transcripting happening. So it was like, there's no way to search inside of video. Right. And so if you had an hour long course or a two hour long course, and you wanted to just go back and find that one thing that you needed, it was practically impossible. So we would split up the p- into very small digestible pieces, which I think is, you know, totally where 60 second Revit comes out of, right. It's, it's, it's content that is digestible and, and it's findable because it's, just that small piece of pertinent information. Absolutely. And that's, yeah, that's completely where it was started from. And yeah, I was blogging on there for quite a while. And uh, that was started on Blogger because that's what everyone was using at the time too. You're dating, you're dating it. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. I follow people like uh, Jeff, the Revit kid. And uh, at the time, Aaron Maller, who I work with now, he had a blog called Revit Malleristic Revitation or something. <laughs> Um, and it was on Blogger, so everyone was on Blogger. Just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'll I'll do it on Blogger too. And yeah, for the longest time, I shared stuff there. And then right around then, in uh, 2015 to 2017, I was just publishing Revit content. And then um, I attended AU for the first time around then as well, so Autodesk University, and started learning Dynamo um, and sharing content that way. And I think. More people, they either know me as 60 Second Revit or they know me from Rhythm, which is a Dynamo package or something like that, um, just because uh, I started sharing all that at the same time, I think. So you have recently pivoted this, but before we jump into your new blogging trajectory here, there's a this whole concept of, I mean, you just said the word sharing, which is kind of sparking this up and in, in open source and like the Rhythm packages and things like that. So tell me where that's com- that comes from. Why open sourcing? Why sharing? Why is that important to you? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, even just at my core of how I think about things. So I have it on my side as well. But one of the like, the quotes I live by is uh, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And that's actually from Proverbs. But um, 
I believe that the more you share, the bigger your whole world gets. So just teaching others, like a lot of my really good friends from this industry are purely just from meeting through things like my blog. In addition to that, sharing what you have is a way for you to learn more. Um, so anytime I've shared things, people respond in the comments or they they weigh in and add what they think's different or a different way to do it. And you always learn more. So I always found that really interesting about the sharing aspect of things is you learn more things from that. Yeah, I, I would echo that as well. They, the whole idea of the opportunities that have come up just from me doing a podcast for the last 10 years have just been, you could never, ever pick that trajectory ahead of time. It's, it's things that just show up. And, and when teaching people have the, at least live, a live show, or like a live course or, or in person, people have the ability to ask why mm-hmm. it's a little different than a on demand course, right? It's like, here's the content you will now consume it. Right. But in a live course, like you said, it gives you the opportunity or, or if you have a comment section on a blog post or whatever, and there becomes kind of this back and forth opportunity, which is is absolutely fantastic. So it does build upon you. You do get out of it what you put into it, and more a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I always find that being the best part of any like live presentation too. So like I'll present like at Autodesk University or Built North America or something, and I always tell people at the beginning of my class, if you have a question, ask it. Interrupt me and ask it. And if it's a really great question, there are no dumb questions, of course, but if it's a really great question that spins us off on a whole nother topic and we spend the rest of the class on that, I'm fine with that because that means that you are interested and we're working on something that I might not have even planned as the topic for that class. We've had a lot of great classes that happen like that. I like to teach labs a lot because they're hands-on with everyone. And we've had people be like, hey, I don't understand how that works. And then we go off on that for 20, 30 minutes and people are like, wow, that was different than the description, but I got a ton from that, you know? So that always gets me really excited too. Open source and open-minded. <laughs> yeah. Well, then the, the funny part with open source, so there's a there's a creator I follow who shows like video editing stuff for DaVinci Resolve. And uh, he, he creates free plugins as well for that program. And he made the joke and I've always thought of it too, but like, open source like if you're not satisfied i'll just give you your money back then you know yeah, um, right can't <laughs> complain can you yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they would still complain won't they <laughs> yeah yeah so there's always something going on especially when you're working in the world of, of revit and dynamo there's always a bug to chase <laughs> right right yep yep if it might work now it might not always work yeah <laughs> yeah for sure so let, let's jump into that Real before we again before we get into the new direction of of your blog, let's talk about rhythm and where did that come from, and what did that lead to? For sure, yeah. So uh, I mentioned I attended Autodesk University in 2014. Back a little in 2013, I opened Dynamo for the first time um, because I was trying to create some space planning workflows for our office when I was at the architecture firm. Um, so the block planning diagrams. And I found some Dynamo graph online that someone's like, hey, you could do block planning with this thing. And I was like, oh, cool. It's so easy. Let me download it and open Dynamo and just use it and everyone will, I'll get my raise, you know. <laughs> um, I opened the graph in Dynamo and everything turned red and yellow and all this stuff. And and I was like, 
I have no idea what's going on. So I closed it. And in 2013, I was like, I'll never learn how to use Dynamo ever. You opened the wrong graph as the first Yeah, I was like, no way. Yeah, "Yeah, all these hundreds of nodes. I was like, oh my gosh. So I was like, I'll never learn this. And then a year later, I was at a BIM user group and the presenter at a local BIM user group was like, hey, Autodesk University is coming up and it's a good way to learn things. And I was like, what's Autodesk University? So we ended up bringing it to our BIM manager at the time. And he's like, yeah, you guys can go. Um, so I went and I, anything that said the word Dynamo in the class, I registered for, and there wasn't a lot in 2014, 2015. Uh, so I ended up taking classes with Marcelo Scambaluri. So it was called Dynamo for Dummies. And I was like, all right, I like that it's the four dummies thing. Uh, hopefully that helps, you know. Um, so I think it was in 2015, actually. But um, I took that class and he showed how to map parameters together and make elements in Revit talk that aren't really supposed to talk. And that's when it clicked for me. And I was like, man, this makes sense now. I'm a Revit user who knows what parameters are. And now I'm a Dynamo user who knows how to interact with parameters. Um, So I was really excited. Uh, That was in December. And then I went back to my office and started building workflows. And then I was like, well, these are kind of useful. Like I'm updating like the drawn by and title blocks and arrowheads on text notes and annotations in Revit. Maybe other people want that. So I started bundling that as custom nodes, and uh, and then I ended up putting that into uh, a package called Rhythm um, in February of that year of 2015, I think. Yeah, so then I started sharing that. Yeah, Rhythm's been around for a while, and it's it's evolved all sorts of different ways. So initially, it was uh, custom nodes that were comprised of out-of-the-box Dynamo nodes just bundled together. Um, probably doing things pretty inefficiently, actually, because it was like a lot of nodes versus like one one Python code, you know, one Python script. Um, so I started sharing it in February 2015, and then eventually I started learning Python, and then it, it was converted to Python, and then I started learning C-sharp and then converted it to C-sharp. So it's, it's grown a lot. If you go to the Dynamo Package Manager and download like the first version of Rhythm, it's kind of funny because it still exists, you know? Uh, on all the versions but it's like 10 nodes and they're all like super janky (laughs) (laughs) super janky so (laughs) this idea of maintaining software over time i'm sure that was never something that you intended to have to do like it's grown kind of organically i'm sure you get a lot of support requests it's open source so this isn't your full-time job this is kind of a labor of love and and in the, in the spirit of open source and sharing. So like, what is that like for you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So uh, there's a post that I keep meaning to do and I'm going to title it Dynamo ruined my career. Um, Just like kind of as like that joke, but uh, when I started learning, (laughs) when I started learning Dynamo, um, I never imagined that I'd be building things that are like software or programming things um, as my job. Um, so it's definitely taking me on a whole direct, uh, trajectory that I didn't expect, which is pretty neat for like rhythm and things like that, managing it over the years. Um, it's just, it's one of those things it's open source. So that's nice because I've actually had contributions from the community to help fix things. So people have picked up some of the bug fixes for me, which is really cool. But other than that, I generally... I'll generally spend a few hours a week here and there just kind of QAing it and making it work because I use it too (laughs) for stuff. So it's a tool that we use at Parallax quite a bit. A lot of the nodes are actually from request of Aaron. So 
I've worked with Aaron at Parallax for four and a half years now. Prior to that, he'd reach out and be like, hey, can Dynamo do this? And I'm like, it can with this new node, you know? So then I'd make a node in rhythm and then he would use it. And uh, that was a, that that was an interesting collaboration before I even worked with him. Because I was building nodes for him and bundling them in rhythm because it was an easy way to distribute it. He actually has a story that he can share sometime, but he was downloading rhythm on a plane over the plane Wi-Fi to get a graph done on his way to some client's office, <laughs> uh, which is pretty cool. Wow, that's that is incredible. Like we don't even recognize when you get an airplane how magical it is to be able to fly somewhere. Like there's bodies in the air flying from one place, but but now he's using some internet service that's probably terrible but still magical downloading a, a, a dynamo graph that is magical like that this software exists to be able to do this thing and you like all of these things are compounding on top of each other what, what a great story <laughs> yeah yeah so it's definitely it, it's been interesting um i've really liked building like all these dynamo packages and sharing them because it's it's definitely offered a lot of opportunity to meet people and interact with people and just helping other people learn too. So anytime we're like at a conference, people are like, Hey, I used rhythm for this. And I'm like, wow, I've never even thought of that use case, you know, or whatever. Uh, I actually in 2018, I taught a workshop in London for their dynamo user group, which thinking back, like I would have never thought I would have been able to travel to somewhere like London and teach a dynamo workshop. Right. And people in that class were like, Hey, I know you cause of this dynamo package. And I'm looking forward to the class or whatever, you know, so it was really cool. So I think that's been a really neat avenue for being able to connect with this whole community. I always tell people too, like Dynamo is really cool and all this stuff, but like the community is what's really awesome. I think it's interesting when a, a open source piece of software maybe has this community behind it. I mean, it doesn't have to be open source, but it, it's, it's maybe it's a little bit different when it is. I think there's a lot of, <laughs> maybe this isn't true now that I'm about to say it, but there's, there's this different level of demands, at least in my mind, maybe not in reality, about paid software versus kind of this open source. Because you can you can download Dynamo separately from Revit. You could use it. I don't know what it would be really useful for. You probably have a lot better idea than I do. But because it's just free and out there and open source and there is a vibrant community behind it, that's that's just like a living organism unto itself that is. Oh, for sure. And it, it carries a certain bit of accountability too, which I really like for myself included when I have open source tools. But um, for Dynamo specifically, you can actually go to GitHub and start seeing what they're building and comment on it before it ever comes out. So like, if you're like, hey, you guys are going the way wrong direction here, you can give your feedback in that way. And they're pretty open to it. Uh, it is open source where you can download it and do whatever you want with it too. Um, there are a few little things like full transparency. Um, Dynamo's not technically an Autodesk product. It's its own thing, and Autodesk contributes to the source code through the Apache license. But for its rendering engine, Autodesk uses their shape manager to render things in Dynamo. So if you wanted to build your own full independent version of Dynamo, you got to have a geometry library of your own as well. So that's one thing that I think catches some like critique sometimes. But um, it, it is one of those things that Autodesk... like. Geometry libraries are really hard <laughs> and Autodesk enables the use of it in Dynamo um, for us, which is really cool. Well, you mentioned teaching and you've 
you've redesigned, rebranded your blog. So 60 second Revit, I'm sure had some kind of like walls that were maybe unintended. You know, it really boxes you into maybe an expectation at least about the type of content. And so you've renamed your blog Design Tech Unraveled. So what is Design Tech Unraveled? I built a Dynamo course uh, probably in 20, it was in 2017. Uh, and that, that was hosted on a platform called Pluralsight. It was like on Dynamo 1.0, and that's several years ago. Every presentation I've done since probably 2018 or 2019, I've had people ask me when I'm going to update that course. And I'm always things like, Things have ah. changed, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things, things change like the week after I launched that darn of course, course, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, um, so I had people always ask me, what are you going to do with that? And I'm like, well, I need to host this on something. And for a while, I haven't been sharing exclusively Revit content on the blog. So after a lot of thought, it was like, yeah, let's go ahead and just rebrand this at the same time as I launch a course. So I talk about technology in regards to design. And I, I like to think of of what I share is making it very practical and like unraveling that for users. So like I've taught classes at AU that's like Python unraveled and things. So it's been a term that's kind of stuck with me. And then the domain was available. So I was like, all right. Wow. (laughs) The stars aligned. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that whole idea of unraveling is so important in technology for the widest audience, right? Because there's, there are beginners and there are experts and everything in between. And this idea of complexity in software is there, especially with this kind of software, right? There's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of things that could be done, but how do you boil it down and communicate that to a wider audience uh, to deliver value to them? And that, that really is kind of this idea of unraveling. Yeah. So that's kind of where that came from. And then, yeah. Um, for the longest time, it was thought that maybe a design tech unraveled was its own thing for just courses. Um, but I started to write a blog post, which is on the blog we can link it to, uh, about like the history of my blog. So kind of what we talked about so far too, how it's it, it outgrew its blogger hosting. I started hosting it on my own hosting and all this. And I was like, well, is it starting to outgrow that original name of quick 60-second Revit tips? Um, and I was like, I think it is. So that's when it was like, okay, we're going to go ahead and move that fully to its own, its own thing. And then just on a practical standpoint, when I started 60 second Revit in 2015, I was just kind of like, oh, I'll just throw stuff out in the world and I'll name it Revit. So that way people know it's Revit. Having the name of Revit in it, hindsight, I, I don't, I, I never really liked that once I started to publish on it more consistently and it's, I mean, it's always been fine. Like it's never like gotten me in trouble. Right. But it's just one of those things that I want to share more in regards to open source or dynamo or programming or some of those more broader topics. So that, that was also part of the reason, but yeah, not being tied to one software has kind of made a lot of sense. And then like you mentioned the unraveling thing, anytime I'm teaching people, I don't, I want them to understand it and I want to break it down as practical as I can um, to where I've always wanted to make it to where people don't feel that same feeling that I felt when I first opened Dynamo where I'm like, I can't ever do this and I close it. Some people never open it again when they think that. So any way we can try to reduce that is like kind of where my passion lies for teaching. Mm, Yeah, that's fantastic. So I have two questions 
pick which one you want to run with first. But you you've created an amazing resource, not only with the the blog, but also with the rhythm package and monocle. There's several things that you've put out into the world. What are your favorite blogs in this category? And the second question is, what are your favorite package that packages that other people have contributed to the community? So pick pick one category and, and go with it. Yeah, I think so. Favorite packages is probably what speaks to me the most. Um, when I started learning Dynamo, naturally, I'm someone who's always taking things apart. You always hear that story from people, right? When I was a little kid, I'd take apart all the remotes and radios and all that stuff at the house and totally try to put it me. back together. <laughs> and yeah, there was always parts left over. There's always parts left over or rattling, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so naturally, I've always been like that. So when I started learning Dynamo, naturally, I wanted to deconstruct or like peek into what's going on. So packages like Clockwork by Andreas Dickman, he um, he publishes that for free as well, and it's open source. Um, so Clockwork is amazing. That was one of the first packages I started double clicking into the nodes to see how it was done, you know, and uh he's a big reason why rhythm was able to be Python in 2015, 2016 is because I saw how he did the Python stuff. And I was like, Oh, I can take this bit, change it. And now I have nodes that do whatever I needed them to do. This goes back to HTML, right? View source was the, exactly. the most used command in the browser <laughs> back in the nineties for me. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. We, we had some crazy websites when we built them on the HTML five in high school. <laughs> We had it to where we disabled right clicks and all that good stuff because we we're like, heck yeah. But yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Clockwork's a big one that I really enjoy. Uh, Archilab, Conrad, yeah, he won't tell you this himself. He's a really nice guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he always tells everyone he's not, but I'm like, you're a nice guy. You just don't know it. Archilab, that's another package that I deconstructed. He built his in C Sharp very early on. So I actually started learning from his C Sharp pretty quickly too, which was awesome. And then another one is Spring Nodes, uh, which is by a guy named D- Demitar. And he's like a mad scientist for sure. Uh, his nodes are really complex. So if you're listening and you want to start to deconstruct Dynamo nodes to learn, probably start with like Clockwork. <laughs> Spring Nodes is like, he has stuff that edits sketches and Revit and all sorts of crazy stuff. He has things that convert meshes to. Uh, probably not the ones to start with, but a, a good resource nonetheless. Um, other than that, like uh, just anything that you can deconstruct and learn from has always been really interesting to me. Uh, there are a few packages that are like closed, but generally speaking, if you ask the package authors how to do something, they're pretty open, even if the package isn't fully open. One that I kind of think of right offhand is Lunchbox, which is from Proving Ground. For the longest time, that wasn't wasn't open, actually, and they have their own reasons for that. They recently open sourced it in the last year or two, um, which is awesome. So you're able to learn from it and build it and all those kind of things. So this is kind of, this led you to Parallax as well, right? And I, I would love it if you would give people an idea. Aaron's been on the show before. I'll link to his episode. That, uh, but I, it would be great if you kind of give a reminder about what Parallax is about and then what specifically you're doing at Parallax. Because the firm that I was previous, previously at, we brought Aaron and Parallax into the firm to help with things. And there's so much depth there and possibility. I'm not sure best how to describe it. For sure. Yeah. So um, I've been at Parallax for four and a half years, like I mentioned. And before that, I was interacting with Aaron just on email. 
there's actually a there's a there's a tweet that I I sent out a picture of us at AU and I didn't even work with him yet and I was wearing a parallax shirt that he gave me at Built that year. <laughs> um so we interacted quite a bit before that. Uh this was in 2017 at AU I think and then December of 2017 I was at kind of like a another one of those like crossroads of my career. So I was I was building automations, dynamo graphs and and Revit templates as a consultant. So I, I had jumped to being a BIM consultant in 2017. But I wanted to start to build Revit plugins and things like that. And where I was at at the time, we had someone who already did that. So I was kind of like told I was the Revit template guy, um, just to kind of button it up. There can only be one, John. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of what I was told. So I was like, well, um, let me see what my other options are here. So I started talking to Aaron, actually, and I was like, hey, how hard is it to start a business in this BIM consultant world and this? And he's like, dude, we'll work great together. Just come and work for me if you'd like, and it'll be cool. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, you could do your Dynamo stuff. You can still open source stuff. You can still write your blog. It's just an avenue for you to be able to work and work with clients and do awesome work. Well, and he's guaranteed to get answers from you like immediately, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, I wanted access to his family knowledge, Revit family knowledge, and he wanted access to my Dynamo knowledge. Right? Mutually <laughs> beneficial, yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, I was like, uh, it was definitely an interesting thing, and I was like, oh wow. So we started talking, and then February of 2018, I started at Parallax Team, and then um, from there, he was like, I was building Dynamo graphs for clients, and. He builds content, uh, libraries, uh, templates, and we do construction modeling from drawings as well. So we do a whole lot of stuff. It's actually changed a lot over the years. So initially it was uh, just Aaron. (laughs) And then in 2018, I joined. And then 2019, the end of 2019, Melissa Thiessen's joined. Um, And then in fall of 2020, uh, his wife, uh, Aaron's wife, Allison, came on board full time. She's an architect. And Lauren, who's a landscape architect, came on full time. That's right, because you guys released some new landscape tools. I mean, you built landscape tools that are pretty phenomenal in the Revit world because that was something that was sorely lacking for so long. Oh, for sure. And that's so Lauren came in and she's like, yeah, we need landscape tools. So that's totally spun off into that whole thing, which is really cool. So we do. All sorts of different things. Anything Revit related, of course, project modeling. Uh, we sell Revit plugins now. So uh, as I mentioned in 2017, I started to want to learn how to build Revit plugins and things like that. Uh, going to Parallax really enabled that because Aaron's like, I have all these ideas of stuff that I hate in Revit. Can we make plugins to fix this? And I'm like, maybe. So we started building tools and all that kind of stuff, which was really awesome. Um and so you these days, start the blog, what I hate about Revit, you know, and, and, and here are, here are the fixes, right? Like that's, it's just a natural pairing. <laughs> Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. You've already heard a lot about Avail as a longtime sponsor of the show, but wait, this is a new message for you, distinguished listener of the Troxel podcast. We can't talk about Avail's latest desktop release without talking dynamic paths. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, of course you do. Dynamic paths allow BIM managers to store data in BIM 360, OneDrive, or any other cloud solution. In the latest version of Avail, they expand on location agnostic, making content easier and faster to find for the user. 
Imagine not having to worry if the content is on a local network drive or in the gazillion cloud storage locations. How is this even possible? Pure magic. It's the stuff of unicorns and rainbows, my friends. Let's keep this just between you and me. Here's some of the details. Following on the promise of being content agnostic, Avail now makes location complexity a thing of the past. Content is more than Revit. It ranges from Rhino to AutoCAD to Office documents. Well, this is next level. We're talking network locations. Have you ever seen one location where all the project content lives? Snap out of it. Of course you haven't. Content can live anywhere from the local network to BIM 360 to OneDrive to any other cloud location. Why does this matter? Well, good thing there are no dumb questions, because the answer is that it frees up users to concentrate on design, which pays the bills, and getting content into a project, not managing technical issues around network drives and paths. Let's face it, they aren't that good at that anyway. Avail's mission is to make finding content simpler and easier. Like our favorite architect Louis Kahn once asked, Data, where do you want to live? I don't think he really asked that question, but Avail allows teams to, so let's just roll with it. And hold the phone. For those of you who know what this means, Avail also supports federated data requirements. Data can live where it needs and must live, allowing users secure and simple access to it. So what's the takeaway? What's the big picture here? Settle down. I have it right here. Avail is a platform that connects all types of data from all types of locations Hiding complexity. Try it today. Go to getavail.com to learn more. And now let's get back to our conversation. It's uh, it's interesting to think about how the the trajectory is just kind of ad hoc in that way, right? It's like I've got this idea. Here's this thing that really bothers me. I think a lot of tools come out of that. A lot of tools in the design technology space, I mean, whether they're Grasshopper graphs or Dynamo graphs or Revit plugins or Lisp routines to go back to the AutoCAD stuff. It's like, can we automate this stuff that I hate to do? Absolutely. Or the software doesn't do it, right? Yeah. Or it's just frustrating how it does it. So like we mentioned Monocle earlier, which is a view extension for Dynamo. That tool consists entirely of stuff that I don't like about Dynamo uh, and I'm fixing it. So like there's things in there like, resizing your graph to not have overlapping nodes to align nodes to all sorts of different things in there. And it's because I'm like, well, Dynamo doesn't do this right. I'll just do it. So like, that's, that's a lot of where Monocle came from as well, which is kind of fun. Is there any way to attribute a value of that kind of stuff? Like the tools that you've built to everyday, you know, users workflows, because these are, these are a big deal. It's, Amazing to think about how much time you're saving other people and through the free open source software in many cases, right? Like you can download Rhythm for free. It's in the Dynamo Package Manager and you can, or you can download Monocle and you could have it clean up your graph that somebody could spend 20 or 30 minutes doing because a new version of Dynamo came out and it just, everything moved. And okay, What's that worth? I, I, I don't I, I don't think there's a, an answer to this, but I'm just wondering if you've ever thought about that. Yeah, I mean, so Monocle even, um, I use it every day when I'm building Dynamo graphs. So for myself personally, like being able to build graphs quickly and clean them up fast, like it makes using Dynamo more enjoyable even. <laughs> and then um, 
it just it saves me a lot of time you know what's the value of that right there (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's one of those things like if i have to work in dynamo and uh, just making it a little nicer is always a nice thing um other things that i've done so i'll have scopes of work for like clients and I need to document graphs in Dynamo really quickly. I'll just knock those out in Dynamo and automate it that way. So I'm automating Dynamo even more. Um, so yeah, just all these like little time-saving things. And then for us personally at Parallax, like Aaron will build Dynamo graphs for clients all the time. So like he uses Rhythm a whole bunch. There's a bunch of viewport nodes right now from Revit that they added in the Revit API in 2022. I built nodes for those viewport view title operations and he was able to make some graphs that we're able to give to clients now. So that's like a value add for people who have our templates and things like that. Right, right. Wow, there's so much there. I mean, just just the contributions that you and Aaron and the team have made to the community, but also toward making the product better is just, it's incredible to me to think that the careers have been built on the pieces that are lacking or problematic for a particular piece of software for sure. <laughs> whoa yeah 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 it's pretty it's pretty wild and then kind of to piggyback on that a bit like sometimes like i'll build things that i see that i want to see happen i guess kind of that rebel nature of me is if someone's like hey we're not going to publish this blog post i'm like i'll go start my own blog then you know um I, i've had feature requests for dynamo that i'm like hey people want to be able to for Dynamo, for instance, color code groups um, standardize those. And the Dynamo team's like, really? People want to do that? And I'm like, they do. And I'll show you that they do by making the tool that they're going to use, you know? Um, so like Monocle has, it's called standard groups. Um, in Dynamo, in the current beta build, they have a standard group feature now, all these years later. So it's like kind of wild to me uh, to start to see things like that happen. But a lot of times, like, like I said, kind of, I'm a little stubborn, I guess, but if someone tells me, no, I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I, yeah. I get that. Totally. I, I'm just thinking about, you know, when I was running digital practice, every firm needs a John Pearson. <laughs> Would you agree? Like, or not? Because obviously the less John Pearson's the better for John Pearson, but you guys are a, an incredible resource and you have a limited amount of time, right? You're creating tools that help in that regard, but you personally have a limited amount of time, how many people you could possibly support every firm who relies on the software to deliver the projects that they do on a daily basis would get huge benefits if they did. And there's no like standardization. I I don't want to get into that argument. Like (laughs) everybody is going to do it differently. They already do. Uh, But, but there's this whole idea of design technology in a firm and the level at which that technologist needs to operate at to help that firm that that's only going up into the right, you know, as far as complexity and just the complicated nature of the tools. And especially with a mature tool like this, where these, these changes can be small, but can really ripple out and make a big difference in the bottom line. And yet it's difficult to kind of quantify that. So I don't know. Can you just speak to that in general? Because you guys are deep in this. You have a limited amount of resources as far as your time goes to be able to affect the humongous user base that's out there. What do firms do? 
when they when they are looking for this. I think a lot of them are just in denial that this position is necessary or even exists or that it should be a thing. But so there's that side of it. But there's also the ones who do get it, but but don't know what to do next. For sure. Yeah. So that's an interesting topic. And there's been a few. So with Kelly Cohn, who works for Clear Edge, he had a, a panel at Built a few years ago. That was great. And we talked about something similar to that. But for firms, was that the one about going to the dark side? Yeah, I was on I that was panel. There. So. I was in the audience. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that one was really fun. I I don't think it was recorded because built they don't record all of them, but it was a great panel. You had to be there, I guess. When I was at the the architecture firm at at Decker Pair Sabatini, we um the BIM manager at the time was super into enabling us as Revit support users. That was our group name to do R&D and support the firm as a whole. So people sometimes freak out when I tell them this, but every day, our first two hours of the day were blocked out for content building, research, learning, things like that that might be left over from the days before. Um, So for two hours in the morning, I didn't have to be billable. Um, So I was able to learn things like Dynamo or watch that AU presentation and actually pay attention to it, you know? Um, which was super valuable. And a lot of like people in charge of like billing at a firm would be like, Oh my God, two hours, you know? So like, that's one of those things like at conferences, I've mentioned that and people are like two hours is super generous. How the heck did this happen? And I'm like, we were able to build tools that saved everyone else time though, you know, in those two hours and processes. Um, So that was like really beneficial at the firm. To have a um, firm that would actually commit to that, I think, is more rare than, you know, just, just by yes. the comments that you got, you can tell how rare it was. Yes. And it, it was huge. And there was a there was three of us at the time uh, on the Revit support group. And we'd have our meetings and we'd talk about what people need and all that kind of stuff. When I left the firm, um, it was kind of partially because I wanted to branch out a bit more. So kind of like you said, to be able to work with more people. Um, and being a consultant enabled that a lot more. Specifically at a company like Parallax Team, we actually, we're all on the forums all the time. Uh, Aaron's on Revit forum a ton. I'm on the Dynamo forum a ton. And we just believe in kind of connecting and helping people. Yes, we have to be billable. Yes, we have to do work that makes us money, of course. But we're always going to have a certain part of us that's willing to teach and and help on forums and things like that. And I think... That that also goes back to why I open source a lot of these tools or share a lot of this is uh, there there is only one of me. But if I can share kind of how I think about some of these things and some of the weirdness that goes on in my mind, <laughs> uh, maybe other people can kind of start to build upon that some too. Yeah, it's one of those things. Uh, another thing, like when I was at the firm for our Revit group, our Revit support group, people would always get ticked when I'd say this, but I'd always tell our users who are building content for the firm Revit content, uh, when they'd be showing me something, they're like, oh, this this door works if you do this. And I'm like, if you say it works if, it means it doesn't work to me. And they were like, man, what an a-hole thing to say. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, I don't want a user to be like, I didn't do the if part, you know? So <laughs> that's one of those other things that I always try to like teach people is you got to plan for all those kind of things too. All the variables. Yeah, it's interesting to think about and from a, from a firm's standpoint about where the value is coming from and how it affects their bottom line. And yet it is difficult to attribute a number to it to make the case for that. Because I think that's usually, uh, and it's, it's, it's a cop-out in many levels 
on the the leadership side, which is like, if you can't tell me the ROI, then we can't do it, right? Because they're using that as a as a crutch to make a decision off. And I think there's a lot of things like that in a firm that they do accept that break that rule all the time. Like, what is the value of design? It's a equally powerful question that a lot of people in an architectural firm will just say, well, what do you mean? You can't even question that, right? But but it's hard to put an R- a number on that as well. Like, you could design that building 50 different ways. You could have high design or you could have low design. It would still be a building, but what did the val- what was the value add? And this is the conundrum a lot of architecture firms fall within is just what, where is the value? What is the value specifically? It, it, it's an interesting problem that we have. Yeah, and it's always like a bit disappointing uh, because when I when I did work at an architecture firm, it was it was awesome. There was some great projects we worked on and I even worked on design projects. I never expected that. So like actually creating proposals and and design schemes for things was always mind blowing to me. And I'm like, I'm not an architect. Like you work at a design firm though. So you're going to go do this. And I was like, okay, cool. So then I was rendering stuff. It was really neat. Uh, If I had stayed there, I would have probably eventually went to architecture school or something like that as well. But on that same note, it always blew my mind that we'd spend so many hours on these design schemes that might never be used. But then the minute I'm like, Hey, we need a new door library. Can I spend a week building it? I'm told no. You know, like (laughs) that always like kind of blows me away um, when I hear that from people too, is they're like, yeah, I was told no. And I'm like, but you've been on five meetings about it that are an hour long each about these doors. Can you just spend the five hours to build the freaking, you know, like it's always kind of (laughs) crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of crazy making. So what's next for you? Autodesk University has moved on from Las Vegas, and I assume you're going. Can you uh, just give us uh, what's going on in in the conference circles? Uh, I saw you at Built for a moment in uh, Anaheim, and uh, and AU's coming up. And so tell us what's going on in the design technology and conference side of things. Yeah, so I have one class at Autodesk University on Thursday, and... uh, I'm teaching about dynamo changes that people need to kind of adapt to. So all the Revit users, Revit 2023 came out this year, and that came with a new version of dynamo that breaks a lot of things. Um, That's just the simplest way to put it, is a lot of your stuff's going to break. So in that class, I'm going to show a lot of ways to fix that, what to look for, and just how to make that process a little easier based on what I've seen, just kind of testing it with clients and working on it over the last year or two. Um, so yeah, that one's, that one should be a fun class for teaching people how to kind of bundle up their dynamo graphs to share them as well. And things like that. Uh, in addition to that, we have a booth, um, at Autodesk university. So Aaron will be there in our booth and I'll hang out at the booth too, just to interact with everyone. So as mentioned, it's one of the first times and it's the first time in two years that Autodesk university is in person and they mixed it up on us and moved it to new Orleans. So that's kind of interesting too. Yeah. Definitely. I've always enjoyed AU. I thought it was one of the better tech conferences because of the way they ran it. Um, it. It was great to have that community in-person opportunity and everybody in the same place at the same time. And I know a lot of people roll their eyes at AU, right? The whole concept of it just because it's so Autodesk specific and it's very much you know cheerleading for the Autodesk company and things like that. But 
there are these communities that exist because of the tools and the ecosystem. And, and that to me is, is the highest value. And that's why I would attend a lot of the classes that I would attend is to learn from specific people who I choose to teach me these things and such a wide, wide range of topics as well, that it's, it's kind of one of the only places that that can actually happen. Yeah. And AU has always been interesting because people from all over the world uh, come over. So like, one of the people that like, I always attend classes for is Havard from the Bad Monkeys or Reop is his company name. Um, yeah, he he's always at AU, I think. And he's one of those ones that I'll, I'll chat with and hang out with in the exhibit hall or just like go have lunch with whatever, you know. And it's always a great opportunity to run into these people that you might not see otherwise, you know. And it's those conversations where you just kind of bump into each other are so awesome. Uh, that's what I always like about those in-person conferences. This year, I'm a little like, a little like confused because normally, like everyone likes to like bash on Las Vegas, right? But the venue is the same as the hotel most people are staying in, or they're right there. It seems a little more distributed this year, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Logistics will be a little different. Yeah, I mean that one of the things about it always being in the same place is you get used to that and you understand the logistics after you know where to go. (laughs) You know where to go. You know the roughly like. The agenda of well, you know where the coffee is. Yes, all those <laughs> things. So yeah, everybody getting used to an entirely new context is going to be an extra level of confusion for sure. Yeah, it'll be fun though. <laughs> We're when, all first timers. <laughs> you're you're teaching this class about you know how to fix your broken stuff. It's an inevitable part of software development. Is like new things are going to break old things. And do you think our industry suffers from? If that happens, we are not going to upgrade. I know there's a at, at HMC for the longest time, and this was you know probably more myth than reality. But it was like if a project starts in a in a certain year of Revit software, it stays in that. We don't upgrade the models. We, they've had bad experiences, and it, it's probably more from a lack of understanding in the tools than a than a, the reality of the situation. But for that, just was like the standard practice. And so I could see where somebody would say, well, you know, let's download the latest version and let's open up some projects and see how bad it is. And then we'll make like a a value judgment at that moment of whether we're going to do this or not this year. Right. So I'm sure you guys see that being a consultant to a lot of different firms. What's your experience been in that side of things? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting because just by nature, like specifically talking about Revit, how it's not backwards compatible, that always gives us all a bit of uh, some trust issues, I guess, <laughs> in upgrading too. Uh, I guess I specifically have a few comments about how Revit runs things as well. So we build plugins that we sell and help people do all sorts of things in Revit. Revit, like, is an interesting thing towards this box that contains all of the dependencies and all of the code and all these things to run everything that's within it. So we always, it's called DLL hell. That's literally the term when you're building software. Um, Revit is so susceptible to that dynamo included. Um, And it's so incredibly frustrating to see that happen pretty often. And that's, there's all sorts of technical reasons for that. I just, we're super susceptible to people wanting to stay in one version. Uh, a lot of our tools support back to Revit 2019 because we have people who are like, we're still in Revit 2019, you know? 
when I look at other parts of other industries and how they move so fast, um, it, it's always a bit disappointing when you think about how we start to hustle. We are to move as well. So like the software development industry, if more often than not, if I want to figure out how to do something, I can Google it and I'll probably find some stack overflow answer for C sharp. That's like, Oh, here's how to build this, um, this dictionary that does all this stuff and all this, and it's an open source code and all this. If you look that up for like AEC, a lot of the time you won't find stuff like that, which is a little disappointing. Interesting thing is I actually found an open source toolkit a while back uh, for creating sliders in a C sharp application that respond to one another. So you can have one slide and the other one changes and then you can add more and they change. And that was actually supplied by uh, someone from our industry. And I'm not going to remember her name right now. We'll have to put it in the show notes, but, um, She's actually from our industry and she built this whole tool for it. And I was like, oh, holy smokes, I found what I needed. And it was from someone in the ADC industry. So it was kind of wild to me um, that I finally found that that way. And it was on Stack Overflow and all this good stuff. One thing that's interesting is like Dynamo uh, is enabled this whole new like realm of people who want to share things. Um, and it works between a ton of versions of like Revit, for instance. I'd love to see something like that start to happen with the design software we're using on a day-to-day basis. And there's a lot of really great people out there trying to build software that connects everything. And I'm super excited to see it. Uh, one product that I'm excited to see connect everything is HiPAR. HiPAR, they're doing really cool things with connecting people and processes and projects. Uh, but I still think there's a big a big spot there for us to be able to work in our primary software to where we're not so afraid to upgrade and break things. Yeah. One of the, as a data point to that, I had a project manager at one point say, why do they have to come out with a new version every single year? Meanwhile, the phone in their pocket is updating software every single day, right? Like it's absolutely, there's a total, like, like they're focusing on the wrong thing. It's like, there are new features. There are, problems to be fixed all the time and this is just a continuum but they they were just looking at it very differently like buying a car i only do that every five or ten years can't my software be like that too because once i get to learn it like there's a certain set of features and that's all i'm going to ever use well it's not like that in software and not only that they probably barely use the software in the role that they're at at the firm but they get all the complaints from their team about why things aren't working and they're just saying, why does it look like this? How come you didn't get that done? And so this kind of disconnection is very real in a lot of firms. So not everybody has the same experience. Yeah, that's very true. And great point, too, about how your phone's updating constantly and all that. It's I'd love to like we, we've had presentations on that, like at AU and things where it's like one day you won't have to update Revit. It'll just be Revit. You'll never have to update it. It'll always just be up to date. That'd be really cool. And if we don't break things, even cooler, you know, but. Uh, well, this is one of the big uh, ideas behind web-based software, right? You always are using the latest version. I'm not quite sure how that totally squares with backwards compatibility slash, you know, the, the, the commands or the tools that were used to build or what it's dependent on. Your project is currently dependent on if, if, if it breaks old things, because sometimes new bugs are introduced by new features that will break stuff. Right. And so. I'm not quite sure how that how that all works, but that is one of the big reasons that web 
all of the apps running in the web browser is something that is, you know, there is a desirable angle, at least. I don't know how truthful in reality it comes out to be. Yeah, definitely interesting thing. And yeah, I, I think for cloud-based things, like I'm eager to see what can happen. I, I made a comment the other day on Twitter um, for anyone who's ever played like Nintendo, like the new Super Mario Brothers that has multiplayer, uh, total weird reference. If you've ever played that, though, <laughs> and you're playing with three other people, you're bouncing on each other and knocking each other off the screen. And you're supposed to be a team. Um, I made a joke that uh, if all this multiplayer for AEC that we're talking about is like that, awesome. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Everyone bouncing on each other, knocking each other off. That sounds Grabbing awesome. Grabbing that wall, moving it around from under you. Yeah. Fighting, you know, right. fireballs. Uh, but <laughs> it's one of those interesting things is it's easy to say we want cloud-based multiplayer for everything. But the minute you have someone moving a wall that you're working on, you're going to want to undo that pretty quick and pin it down, which is kind of interesting. So I, I'm excited to see what companies are doing when they like are talking about these multiplayer things. Um, Speckle's another one that's doing some of that where you can see each other in the browser and follow each other around. I want to see how they start to handle all that and I kind of am a little bit excited to see the complaints that arise from some of that just because it's a new paradigm. Th- yeah. Thinking of, yeah, thinking of that experience of playing like a game and someone's knocking off the screen when you're supposed to be a team is always fun. Uh, everyone gets frustrated. <laughs> it's yeah, it's type two fun. The, the, <laughs> I had a recent conversation with Johan at Archeo, which will have already been out by the time this episode comes out. But we did talk about that topic specifically because they have a multi- you know, user collaborative design environment in VR. And so it's not different, right? That that idea that you just talked about, it could be happening in 3D, it could be happening in 2D, it could be happening in VR. Like it does it's all it's just the collaborative design environment. And what we just talked about to give that context that makes a little more sense for people is like there is a time for that and it is not always, right? on a project. And so the people who are kind of nervous about that, it's, it's not unlike everybody standing around the table with the same roll of trace or with the blocks and moving things around with all their hands in the pie at the same time. But it's not always like that, right? There are still people who are, have their specific domain and they're going to be left alone. Even if the software will enable other people to come in there and watch or participate, like it's still going to be by invitation only. So I don't foresee it being um, too disruptive and I do see it being really valuable at certain times. And so uh, I don't know if it's a, a tent pole feature, but it is something that could be really useful used the right way. I could definitely For see sure. That. Yeah, I think about like Google Sheets a lot or Google Docs to where you're co-authoring. Those are Notion where you can follow someone around and see their little avatar. That that part is really exciting. So yeah, more more than anything, like I'm joking mostly about the bouncing on each other, but oh, it'll happen. It'll still be interesting to see. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be a great like lunchtime, you know, game that you could everybody get in the rabbit model, and you have to build something together as a team, and just what everybody gets to watch and see see how that kind of actually happens would be a pretty definitely. Fun thing. Yeah, we could make architecture fun again. It's interesting too. Like I don't know if you're familiar with R slash Place from Reddit. It's wild. So uh, they do it. It's every, they don't do it all the time, but you essentially get to place one pixel on a blank workspace. That's a, a, a grid. 
and you place one pixel and you wait four minutes, there's like a cool down. And what people create on that is phenomenal. And these are random people who don't know each other from all over the world. And there's whole Reddit threads created for, hey, we're going to build a Star Wars poster in this corner. Who wants to join? That's really remarkable. And like, if that's kind of like what we're targeting, things like that, that kind of collaboration, I think that could be really exciting. So yeah, I said just kind of, there's a lot of like animations and videos of our place getting built out as well. But it's it was a really interesting thing. I placed like five pixels, but <laughs> my contribution was five pixels. It reminds me of the game that I used to play this with my kids, right? And you get a piece of paper at dinner time on the table and someone would make a mark and then the next person builds off that mark and then the next person builds off that mark. And at the end, you have something that nobody knew what was coming. It was no vision of any one person. It was just built upon in real time, collaborative kind of way like you're talking about. For sure. Yeah. So that's, that's always what's kind of interesting. And I think like in order to enable the success of like the future of our industry, people just, we need to talk more. We need to be open to collaborating, to sharing, you know, be open to learning. And I think that enables all of this other stuff just to do well. Yeah. So what's next? You've done one course on design tech unraveled. Where are you going from there? Yeah. So the first one was that like, Dynamo for Revit, completely beginners from zero to learning how to use Dynamo to build graphs. Uh, another logical step and one that I've been asked about a lot is Python. So that's what I'm currently working on. So all these courses I, I kind of work on just whenever I have time in the evenings and everything. My wife actually edits the videos while I record them. So it's a really cool collaboration between us. Who has final editorial command over that is it you or her <laughs> yeah she's always like you looked weird at this part re-record it and i'm like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. trust there that's great <laughs> yeah she'll run through the edit and then i'll review it or whatever and then we'll get it uploaded but yeah i'm currently working on a python course so if you're a dynamo user who's placed some nodes and use revit and you want to start to add new functionality that's kind of the goal is to take you from being curious about python to actually building some nodes um, so I'm working on that now. It'll probably be out in the next month, I think. And then other than that, kind of my whole journey. So like I started using Dynamo with just out-of-the-box nodes, placing those on the canvas, went to Python, went to C Sharp. So I eventually want to show people how to make C Sharp packages as well, and then probably Revit plugins as well. So kind of this whole, I, I want to take this whole journey of like, being a Revit user to being a Revit user who makes things for Revit, you know? So that's, that's my overall idea. It's kind of, it's like a documentation of my journey over the last, what, five years or whatever. Great. It's amazing to look back and connect all those dots together and see how you went from drafter it in high school, right? Using CAD to prolific meme connoisseur on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you. Very proud of that. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's you're a fun follow on Twitter. And I mean, all these steps in between, it's really a, an interesting path that you've taken. And I don't think it's unlike what a lot of other people are experiencing. But you're a great example to kind of highlight in this realm, because you are such a big part of the community. You are so putting yourself out there, putting the information out there incorporating that feedback into the iterative process of designing these tools. So I thank you for your contribution to the industry. It's been amazing to watch. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And yeah, 
I'm glad people respond well to all my memes and, and gifs and joking around and all Keep that. Keep it good fun, stuff. right? <laughs> I, I appreciate yeah. that part of it because <laughs> there, we take ourselves so seriously in this industry. It's nice to have that uh, that little piece of reminder that we can have fun along the way. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Great. Well, John, thank you so much for spending the time. I will put links to all of your socials on the show notes, your blog, your course and uh, the stuff going on at Parallax. Is there anything that I missed? No, I think that's kind of everything going on right now. And yeah, uh, if anyone listening runs into me at AU, feel free to stop by and say hi. And yeah, look forward to interacting with everyone. Great. Thanks, John. See you next time. Thank you to Avail for their support of this podcast episode. Visit getavail.com to see their holistic approach to content management today. This show is part of the Gabled Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gabledmedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out and, of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E Troxel. Talk to you soon.